Hearing God, sorry, it's too loud, sorry. Hearing God, or rather hearing what God has to say to us is extremely important. It is a crucial element uh, in discipleship. However, just hearing the voice of God is not enough. We need to act on it. Discipleship is both hearing and acting on it together. Today we are looking at 1 Samuel chapter 3, which speaks to us about hearing God and acting on it. In this passage, we find three main characters. We have God, of course, the one who is speaking and calling out. Then we have Samuel and we have Eli, who are the hearers. Now, we all know that Samuel came to being as a result of God's answer to Hannah's fervent prayer for a child. And we see this in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Hannah prays fervently for a child. And God remembers her and she conceives and gives birth to a son. And she names him Samuel, which in Hebrew means God heard. So God heard her prayers, gave her her son, and therefore she named him this name. And Hannah, after she has weaned the child, she, she brought him to the temple. You know, she, she brings him to Eli and gives him to the Lord. And so Samuel grew up in the temple. He grew up in the presence of God and he learned to serve in the temple under Eli's guidance and supervision. In fact, 1 Samuel chapter 2 verses 26 says this of him. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men. Now, Eli, on the other hand, was growing old. And he was not just growing old, but he was growing blind. And Eli, we find that although he trained Samuel well, he, he kind of did a pretty good job. Uh, he trained Samuel well, but he failed miserably when he came to his own sons. And Eli really had a difficult time with his sons. He did not take any disciplinary actions on them, even though he was aware of their wrongdoings. And so Eli not only failed as a father, but he also failed as a high priest. Because as a high priest, he ignored the sins of the priests who were under his jurisdiction. Because both the sons were priests under him. They were under Eli. But nothing was done to reprimand them. Both his sons were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. And first, 
in chapter 2, 1 Samuel chapter 2, also tells us that they were sleeping with women who were serving at the entrance. So this is Eli. Eli knew of their sins. He knew of their wickedness, but he did nothing to reprimand them. No disciplinary action was taken against them. They were just allowed to continue on in sin in the temple of God. And so as a result of that, God was about to bring judgment on him and his household. But before God brought judgment on him, God in his mercy warns Eli. You know, friends, you know, God's warnings are a form of God's mercies. You know, when, when people warn us, sometimes we feel uncomfortable, right? Why this person warned me like that? And we tend to want to take it personally. But in the Bible, in our relationship with God, when God warns us, it is actually God's mercy. Because the purpose of God's warning is to pull us back and to bring us back to repentance. This is why you find in chapter 2, 1 Samuel chapter 2, you know, we find this man of God, you know, he comes to Eli and he brings to him this warning from God. Through this man, God speaks his warning Against. And if you look at verses 29 and 30, 1 Samuel chapter 2, 29 and 30, it says, you know, the man will ask, why do you scorn, and God will ask, you know, through this man, you know, why do you scorn my, my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me? by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people, Israel. But to be honest, actually, if you look at the, the previous chapter, Eli, he does go to his sons and he does like, uh, kind of like ask them, all right, and, and kind of like rebuked them. But he did, he did not take any actions. He questioned them, but he did not take any actions. That is why God says, why do you honor your sons more than me? In a sense, God was saying, you allowed your sons to continue, although you knew it was wrong. Eli is an example of a man who hears God, but does nothing about it. He's exactly like what it says in James chapter 1, verses 23 and 24. Do you know what James chapter 1, verses 23 and 24 says? It says this, Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. And friends, this is not discipleship. Hearing God is a crucial element in discipleship, but it has to be accompanied with actions. It has to be accompanied with obedience. And you see, my friends, God speaks 
but are we ready to hear him? Because the first verse of chapter 3 starts off this, like this. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli, and then he says this. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. The word of the Lord was rare. And other translation uses the word precious. The word of the Lord was precious. What does it mean? What does it mean when he says the word of the Lord was rare and there were not many visions? Does it mean that God has decided to take leave and go on a vacation? I absolutely don't think so. Because if we read this passage in context of what's happening in the temple, we will find that you know, Eli was the high priest. He hears God, but practically does nothing about it. His two sons were also priests, but they were wicked and they treat God's offering with contempt. So it is not that God was not speaking or was not revealing himself, but that no one was in a state of mind and of heart to actually receive from God. No one. They were indulging in sin. No one was in, was in a state of mind and in a state of heart to actually receive from God. Yet, we find that God calls out to Samuel. What is it about Samuel that God would choose him? You know, Samuel has this correct frequency, you know. You know, it's something like, you know, when, when you're listening to a radio, right? Okay, listening to a radio. And in order to listen to a particular channel, for example, you know, Light and Easy or Hits FM or whatever, we need to tune in to the correct frequency in order to hear correct, uh, hear clearly, correct or not. We need to, you know, if, if, when we do not have the correct frequency, it becomes very frustrating to listen. It's always like, and then somebody, and then when it becomes increasingly frustrating, what do we do? Switch off. But Samuel had this correct frequency. The state of his mind and the state of his heart had that correct frequency. And I would like to share with all of us three things about Samuel that contributed to that correct frequency. And the first, if you look in your outline, is there. The first is that we find that Samuel has a waiting disposition. He is a guy who waits. And it's not like, it's not like this passive kind of waiting, you know. you know. You know the passive kind of waiting? You just wait lah. What are you waiting for? Door, no? Maybe something will drop from the sky. Just wait lah. That's passive kind of waiting. But Samuel was not waiting passively. He was waiting actively. It is the active kind of waiting because we find that he is always ready to answer whenever he might be called. The first time he hears his name called, he answers, here I am. And verse 5 says, he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. 
The second time he hears his name called, he does the same thing. He gets up, he goes to Eli and says, here I am, you called me. And obviously Eli says no. And then the third time he hears his name called, he does the same thing. He gets up, goes to Eli and says, here I am, you called me. And if you notice, my dear friend, Samuel is actually resting. He's actually sleeping, you know. It's at night. And even when he's sleeping, his ears are open. He has this waiting disposition. He's actively waiting to be called. He waits with openness and he waits with readiness. So the first question that I've put under think, reflect and act on it is how do we wait on the Lord? You know, if we look at the text, if we come back to the text, we find that God called out to Samuel in the silence and quietness of the night. Did you notice that? God called out to Samuel when all activity has ceased. You see, as a little priest, he's a boy, huh? little priest under Eli, Samuel had his share of responsibilities and duties in the temple. There were things that he needed to do which was part of his work. There were routines that he needed to follow and do. And friends, our lives are pretty much like that, isn't it? We have our responsibilities. We have our work commitments. We have our family obligations. We have our daily routines that we follow and abide to. Those routines whereby we must do one. Don't do, cannot live. Must do. And after we had finished all that we need to do for the day, we retire to our bed. And we are so tired that we just, inverted commas, huh? we just drop dead only to resurrect the next morning. Now, if we want to wait on God actively, then we need to carve out time to be in silence. We need to carve out time whereby all activity have ceased or rather put on hold so that we can wait on God. You know, one of the reasons why it is difficult to do so is that we have no time. Everybody is busy, ma. Busy with this, busy with that. We have no time. You know, we know, you know, we know in our heart, in our mind, you know, in our mind, we know that it's important to carve out time to be with God, you know, to read His Word, but we have no time. But friends, you know, Dallas Willett has this to say. Dallas Willett says this. Sorry. He says this, time is made, not found. What Dallas Willett essentially means is that if we tell ourselves, okay, this is important, let me find time to do this, then it will never happen. But if we tell ourselves, okay, this is important, let me make time for this, then there is a very high possibility that it will happen. The reason is simply because we naturally will make time for the people and things that matters to us. Time is made, not found. And in order to make time, we may need to consider making adjustments to our daily schedule. So one of the questions that maybe you want to take home to think, which is not in your bulletin, is that how can I make adjustments to my schedule 
so that I could include silence and solitude into my daily life? How can I make adjustments to my schedule so that I could include spending time with God? Moving on, the second thing that we learn about Samuel that causes him to have this correct frequency is that Samuel has a discerning disposition, or rather, a learning disposition. You know, Samuel, he had to learn to differentiate between the voice of God and the voice of Eli. You know, every time he hears, he runs to Eli. So he had to differentiate, you know, between the voice of God and the voice of Eli. And Eli, though he failed in many areas of his life, he was able to teach or rather point Samuel to God. And Samuel had to learn to recognize the voice of God. Now, if I were to ask all of us a question, how do we recognize a person's voice? What would the answer be? For example, most of the time when our loved ones call us on the phone, we are able to almost instantly recognize his or her voice the moment he or she says hello. And the phone that I'm talking about is not your handphone huh, where the name appears and then you know who's calling you. I'm talking about those house phone, those phone where you go, you dial like that one, you know. <laughs> you dial like that one. Okay, those kind of phones, and if it is your loved ones calling you, you will be able to recognize. Correct, can recognize or not? I can, you all can or not? Can? And most of the time, we will get it right if it is our spouse calling us. Most of the time, we will get it right if it's our children or our grandchildren calling us. Most of the time, we will get it right if it is our parents calling us. And we will also get it right if it is our closest friends calling us. Now, why is that? Have we ever thought about it? The reason we get it right is because we know them. And I think it is safe to say, you know, perhaps 90% of the time, we will get it correctly. Unless something is wrong with the person's voice and we go like, are you sick? Why is your voice like that? But most of the time, we get it right because we know them. Now, if you come back to the text, right, you come back to the text, in verse 7, it says this. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Now, how is that even possible, we may ask? You know, Samuel, he grew up in the temple. He grew up in the presence of God. He ministered to the Lord, and he was doing all that a priest would do. In a sense, he was doing all the religious duties that is required of him, but the text tells us that he did not yet know the Lord. How is that possible? Friends, let me tell us that it is possible. It is possible to be so engaged in church work, so engaged in church programs, so engaged in church services, and yet we may not know the Lord. And the word know here in Hebrew is yada. 
which simply means to know God by experience. You see, Samuel know a lot about God. He knew what is required by the law of God. The only thing that he didn't have was a personal experience with God. And here, God was revealing himself to him. Samuel needed to learn to differentiate between the voice of God and the voice of Eli. So the question for us is, how? And that's the second question that we will find under Think, Reflect, and Act on it. How do we discern the voice of God? We discern His voice by having a relationship with Him. John 10, 14 says, I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. How did Jesus know the Father? Jesus knew the Father because he had a relationship with him. And throughout the Gospels, we find about how Jesus would intentionally craft out time and go away to be with God. You know, Jesus worked at his relationship with God. You know, there's this spiritual writer. It's a Catholic spiritual writer by the name of Thomas Green. And he has written actually quite a number of books. And one of the books he's written is this one. Weed, W-E-E-D, S, Among the Wheat, W-H-E-A-T. It's based on that parable. You know that parable? Right? So, W-E-E-D among W-H-E-A-T. Okay? And in this book, he uses his own experience to illustrate the point about knowing God. Okay? And so, I'm taking, taking it from, I'm reading from this book. Okay? I'm quoting him, Thomas Green. Yeah? So, he says this, One day, I was, referring to Thomas Green, huh? he said, One day, I was visiting my family in the States. I went shopping with my mom, and she wanted to buy my father a necktie because it was Father's Day. And so as she surveyed the whole table that was covered with neckties for sale, she quickly selected four or five neckties that my father would like. And then she inspected those four and five neckties carefully, and she finally chooses one that would please him the most. And she was right. My father was really pleased with the necktie. And Thomas Green says that it was evident to him that she knew what he would really like. Now, how was that? It was so only because they have shared their lives for 40 years. They've been married for 40 years. So they've shared their lives for 40 years. Now, there was something else that Thomas Green says about this incident that caught my attention as I was reading this book. You see, Thomas was a son, correct or not? Son. As a son, we would think that he would also know the father. Son, ma, as much as his mother would know him. But Thomas says that as much as he loved his father, he would not be able to pick the one that would please his father the most. Now, do you know why? Do you know why? The 
The reason is because Thomas Green has moved out from the home. He doesn't live with the dad. He is actually serving in a seminary in Philippines. The family is in the States. He is in Philippines. And therefore, he says that his experience of his father was much less compared to his mother, who has never left the father's side. Now, friends, no matter how busy we may be, no matter how preoccupied we may be, let us not leave God's side. Let us work on our relationship with God. You know, we all have a relationship with God. That's a fact, you know, the fact we have. But are we working on it? Just like any other relationships, and a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship, you need to work at it, and then you will never reach marriage if you don't work at it. Uh, husband and wife relationship, you need to continue to work on it. Parent-child relationship has to continue to work on it. It is the same here. We already have a relationship with God, but do we work on it? Are we working on it? Moving on, lastly, the third thing about Samuel that we learn is that he has a submissive disposition. Samuel is a person who is submissive. He's not just submissive to Eli, he is also submissive to God. Now, how do we know that? You see, the message that God gave Samuel was not an easy one. That message was that God was going to go against Eli. God was going to carry out all that he had said against Eli. He was going to destroy Eli and the entire family. And you can imagine this Samuel, this little boy, who, you know, Eli has you know, kind of raised him. Eli was, in a sense, his teacher, his mentor, and some, probably someone whom he looks up to. And he receives this message from God that goes against his very mentor. What do you think is going through in the mind of Samuel? If you look at verse 15, it gives us an indication. It says, Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Samuel was afraid. I mean, who wouldn't? And in verse 18, it says, Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. You know, a difficult message to deliver, yet out of obedience and submission, Samuel did not hold back. He told Eli everything just as it is. And you know, my dear friends, it takes a lot of courage to be obedient and submissive to that extent. Samuel has a submissive disposition. Unlike Eli, who honors his sons more than God, Samuel honors God's word to him more than anything else. And so you find the third question under think, reflect, and act on it is, how do we grow in the area of submission and obedience to God? You know, we will grow in that area when we begin to trust God more and more. You know, when we begin to trust that God knows us better than we know ourselves, 
when we begin to trust that God is for us and not against us, when we begin to trust that God's ways and God's thoughts are higher and greater than ours, when we begin to trust God more and more, we will definitely grow in the area of submission and obedience. You know, I've put a final question in conclusion, which says this, as a disciple, we are all disciples, would you wait, discern, and obey the voice of God? This is a question that only you can answer. And as we prepare our hearts to approach the Lord's table, let us take a few moments to be still in the presence of God. Keep this question in your mind and in your heart. And in your own ways, as you come forward, you tell God your answer and ask him, 